This is a 980 CKNW podcast. Well, if you were paying attention to the voting happening yesterday, you know it was a lengthy process. There was a lot of energy as the B.C. Liberals chose their next leader. And for many, it was a surprise. But there is a new leader. He is Andrew Wilkinson of the B.C. Liberals, and he joins us on the line now. Andrew Wilkinson, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Well, good morning, Jill. Thanks for having me. Good morning, and thank you for uh, getting up early. My guess is uh, it was a late night, uh, a very uh, jubilant night for you. Well, it was a lot of excitement after the results. You know, it was, went for a good number of ballots, and I think uh, people, uh, at least some of them, were surprised. I was actually uh, somewhat surprised, but I knew I had a great campaign team, and it was a very much a team effort. At the end, the whole party's united. What message does it send that the choice here obviously was, does the party go a new direction and go for change or go for the tried and true? What message do you think it sends that that you have been chosen as the new leader? Well, every leader sets a new direction. I think that will be the case uh, once I've settled in and talked to the caucus and consulted with the people in the ridings all around the province. And so the policy direction will be new and different. But at the same time, we've got a lot of continuity of the basic liberal values, which is uh, relying upon enterprise, that people can build out their own lives and build up their prosperity here in British Columbia. And secondly, the fiscal responsibility angle that uh, we don't believe in spending our children's money. We believe in very moderate government spending based on current revenue, not on spending into deficits or borrowing monies to dump debt onto our children. Uh, so it sounds like it's going to be uh, interesting when uh, the legislature resumes. What is it, uh, February 13th, uh, everybody will be back in Victoria? That's correct. The day after Family Day, we go back and there'll be an NDP throne speech and we can expect the NDP to start to show their true colours. You know, for the last six months, they've been basically trying to study everything to death because they're afraid to make decisions. And so we'll be holding them to account and making sure that the interests of British Columbians are taken care of. We have an NDP government that is pretty much lost its way already. They're having trouble figuring out what to do. They're more than happy to list problems, but very rarely come up with solutions. Uh, What will happen, do you think, with LNG if uh, the threats of the Green Party go ahead as far as bringing down the government? Well, this is exactly where the problem lies. I think we all know that it's an NDP minority government propped up by three Green Party members. They have different views in some things, but the Greens haven't shown the stomach to actually vote against the party on anything. So what we have is a Green Party that makes quite a lot of noise, but actually just votes at the NDP. And so that tension is going to build up between the two of them. And we will be there to point it out to, to British Columbians that these two parties can't find a consistent message, and yet they pretend to be governing. And on LNG in particular, you know, our party is very clearly in favour. We've got, uh, in the presence of Ellis Ross, our member from Skeena, uh, an Indigenous leader who's now an MLA, who says... It's intrinsic to British Columbia's prosperity that we should proceed with an LNG industry. And we have the NDP saying out of one side of the mouth that they think it's a good idea, and then they're kowtowing to the Greens on the other side, saying that they don't want to do anything rash. Uh, But if it came down to it, with a confidence vote and the Greens following through on their promise to vote against it, would the Liberals not have to also vote against it to bring down the government? Well, that would depend on the structure of the motion. You know, if it's part of the budget and the or the throne speech and the uh, Greens vote against it, that's it. The NDP would have to call an election or at least go to the governor, the lieutenant governor, and uh, ask for someone else to have a triad forming government. So that is a strategic issue, but uh, we'll see what actually comes up, and we as the opposition will be ready to hold the NDP and the Greens to account. 
they're backing themselves into a corner on this issue, as you point out, and it's our job to make sure they get stuck in that corner so that we can move ahead with a better governance set up for British Columbia. Uh, I'm talking about this, uh, we're talking about uh, the the Greens uh, NDP coalition and such. You've made electoral reform, in particular uh, stopping electoral reform, uh, one of your key points. Uh, why did you make that? I think it was one of the first things you mentioned yesterday after being voted in leader. Why is that uh, the number one or top of the list for you? Well, proportional representation is basically the Greens' payoff for supporting the NDP. The only reason the Greens do support the NDP is so they can move British Columbia towards proportional representation. We have to be really clear. This is a complete change to our voting system. It completely changes the structure of our democracy. The only place in the English-speaking world where it's used is in New Zealand. It doesn't work well there. And so we have to make sure that the public know all about what the NDP and the Greens are trying to sell to them. This is a mail-in vote this fall, and those generally get very low turnouts. So we have to make sure that people are mobilized and take an interest in this. Uh, how do you uh, do that as well? Because we've talked about it on this program. Uh, the, the rules have been changed uh, in the game for this as well, as far as uh, the amount needed to pass this uh, and stacking the deck. I think it doesn't. it's not an exaggeration in these uh, two parties that want proportional representation. How do you fight that? Well, we're going to have to point out to people that this is the NDP at their worst. What they're doing is saying that they want to have a referendum by mail, which gets a lower turnout. They say that they are going to decide the question to be voted upon in secret in an NDP cabinet meeting without involvement of public. They then say that it only takes 50% plus one of the vote, which means basically that the lower mainland can overrule the rest of the province and change the way they structure their lives and their democracy. And thirdly, that the NDP cabinet gets to decide who gets funded to support and oppose this proposal. So you can see how badly the deck is stacked. And it's really quite arrogant of the NDP to come along and say, oh, they're doing us all a favor by giving us a chance to uh, decide on our future of our electoral system when they are completely controlling the game in their own favor. Uh, does it does it force parties as well when first past the post or when when we don't have a proportional representation system? Does it not force parties to be more, governing more for everybody rather than select groups? Well, you're going to hear this slogan a thousand times in the next six, six or eight months: "Make every vote count." That's the nice idea that the proportional representation fans have that. Uh, if you vote for 5% for the marijuana party or 10% for an ethnic or regional party, then that will be represented in the legislature. But think what happens then. You get half a dozen or more parties in the legislature, very broken up uh, electoral representation. They go to Victoria and have to cut a deal with each other. So the platforms they ran on their policies just get tossed out the window because they go and compromise it all away, much as the Greens and the NDP are doing right now is trying to figure out how to... Um, make a lot of noise, but actually not do what they say they'll do. And this will get much worse under proportional representation. And we can only think, you know, if we break up British Columbia with uh, regional, ethnic, and um, religious parties, that's not good for governance in B.C. And right now, the way we have things under first-past-the-post, first it means that parties have to come up with an agenda for all of British Columbia. And the media and the public have done a very good job of holding these parties to their platforms so that what they say in the election they have to follow through on. That just disappears under proportional representation because they compromise away all their principles to grab power.
there has been some criticism that the the very system you're fighting against is is a system that actually led to you becoming leader of the BC Liberals. Uh, I would say that a liberal convention, a, liber- a leadership race, is much different than a general election. Uh, but what do you say to the criticism that you, uh, the very party, uh, the Liberal Party, uses this type of system? Well, it's interesting that comes up because when you think about uh, the 2004 electoral reform process, the uh, consensus of the Citizens' Assembly, which was the right way to go about electoral reform, was that there should be single transferable vote, which is a voting system not unlike what we used to choose the leader. That's what we chose to use in the uh, BC Liberal leadership selection because we're a family and we've got to come to a consensus conclusion. And if you think of proportional representation, we'd now have six leaders who are now going to go out and hash out a deal to figure out who actually gets to be the one leader. We've got a system here that actually works, and we're going to go ahead on that basis and make sure we're fighting off PR. Because the key issue with PR is you lose the ability to directly elect your MLA. And if you think about that, particularly important in rural areas where the MLA is the person who has to field all the queries about roads and hospitals and schools, it's less of a pressured issue in the city. For instance, in my writing, there are no provincial roads or hospitals. So people don't come to me with those concerns. But in a rural area, that's very important. And those rural areas will lose their direct representation. They will not know who to call. And that means, well, a real loss of accountability, which is critical in our society. All right. Uh, just before I let you go, and uh, Andrew, I'm in no way implying anything here. However, we do live in an age where political leaders have been taken down by anonymous, by confidential allegations. Uh, we've seen skeletons in their closets that come back to haunt them. Uh, can you assure the public that there are no skeletons and that uh, you won't be facing any allegations or anything from your past that will come back to haunt you? Well, there's a very good reason why we have in the platform that I put together an entire section entitled Ensuring Safety and True Equality for All Women on page 11 of the platform I put out. And that's uh, a package of proposals that we had as part of the platform. It starts off by saying no person should ever have to endure harassment or assault. We should be unquestionably safe in our workplaces, our schools, and our community. That's the core of my belief on this issue. All right. Well, congratulations again on the win. I look forward to seeing you in the legislature. And thank you so much for taking some time with us this morning. And thanks for having me. Great way to start the day. You've been listening to a 980 CKNW podcast. Listen live at CKNW.com, the Radio Player Canada app. Tune in Amazon Alexa HD radio at 101.1 FM HD2 and on the AM dial 980 CKNW.